Welcome to Chuck. I am Charles Braxton. With me is my partner in crime, my son, whom I love, Austin Charles. And I've just been wanting to say this for a while. You all know me. You know how I earn a living. And if you don't know what that is, oh, pity the fool. Welcome to Chucked. We are enjoying summer because it's, for me, my favorite time of the year. Austin is uh, into summer for about a month and then he's ready for cooler weather, but I would take summer. It's changing as I'm getting older, honestly. Yeah, I know. That's right. It's changing as I'm getting older. It's a luxury of youth that you can say that, but when you get older. Last year was the first year I did did enjoy the, the full summer, even like, you know, in September when it was. You know, it's 88 degrees in September and humid. I, I he still even enjoyed that. Yeah, so. yeah. You were different last year. I'm taking it all. I'm taking it all. As a I kid got, growing up, I just wanted like a month, and then I was done. Yeah, see, I just I love summer. I the saddest day of my life was when school started. I can still remember as a kid being in class, going, "Yesterday I was free. Today I'm sitting. I, mean, I remember where I was sitting in class and just." I just I never liked school. I never liked it. It's people used to tell me you're gonna you're gonna have a day when you miss school, and I'm still waiting for mm. that day to come. I'm still waiting for that day to come. <laughs> I've got my summer. Listening. You miss college? Uh, no, 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 I don't miss college. I don't I don't get that. You had oh, a pretty you'll good miss college, college experience, someday. Though. Still waiting for college to be missed. Still waiting. You had a pretty good college experience, though. I had a great high school experience and college experience. Still mm. waiting. For those to be missed. Hmm. They're very defining. We could unpack that someday because I think high school is the most defining time in a person's life, really. But uh, I'm excited about summer because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 soundtrack is one of my major listening. That's my summer listening soundtrack. Great. I mean, it goes from from my electric light orchestra to Sam Cooke. I love it. And then this summer, I'm also getting into ZZ Top. Hmm. Like this is, you know, I always have like, I I have, I have, Three Dog Night one summer in Chicago, 70s Chicago, not 80s Chicago, mm-hmm. but 70s Chicago is just... But this year, I'm just really getting into ZZ Top. Man, they just... Oh, the, the sounds of my youth, you oh. know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, the only two things I've listened to in the last month, uh, Kendrick Lamar's new album, Damn. And you had to get a swear word in this time, didn't you? It's the name of the album. <laughs> uh, was, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm too. pretty sure that uh, the rumor is he's coming out with another one called Nation. Mm-hmm. So that's um, kind of bland. Next but it, that uh, as well to be Damnation. It's going to be a, like a part two of the album, Damnation. Oh, I see what yeah. they're doing yeah, with that. that. Yeah, Kendrick yeah. Smart. Two first names. Um, but. Uh, that's the listen to that, and I've been have this this insatiable craving for. Um, I'm not a hair metal fan, but majority of the time I listen to is just like Wings by Aerosmith, Doctor Feelgood, Shout of the Devil by Motley Crue, and Appetite for Destruction. Just that crunch is just like I just need that crunch <laughs> at any po- point in my day. Like I just whether I'm writing or I'm in the morning or you know I'm at you know hitting on the ball machine. Um, I just need that crunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you put the earplugs in while you're hitting on the ball machine? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a good Yeah, it's great to do. Yeah, I, I've never gotten into the heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. But uh, So what are you loving this summer? What are you, what are you loving? 
what's something you're really into? My, uh, I don't have, I'm not on the path to stress fractures anymore. My tibia is so running. I've, I've finally are. felt healthy enough to, you um, are into that. Just, uh, just working at three miles because I don't want to, I don't want to get slower. So, um, just improving my three mile every, every other day and as much tennis as possible. And uh, there's be some good movies coming out this this summer mm-hmm. that I'm excited about. Spider Man, Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, whatever you like. What there. Do you, if you're sophisticated, do you say Caribbean or Caribbean? What if, if you're barely like, sophisticated, you probably could say home or vacation. You know, because some people are so sophisticated, they can they can. How does it sound with a British accent? That's how. It, that's how. Oh, you, there you go. There Caribbean. There you go. Caribbean. Right, that's sophisticated. Some people are so sophisticated they can hear and not even think of the Lone Ranger. Do you know that? Hmm. I'm sorry. I think of it. I think I digress. But I, yeah, I'm in. I'm. I'm really. I'm loving the biking. It's so good for my legs. I'm just. I'm really liking biking, and and it's scary to do it around here because people don't respect cyclists much around here and mm-hmm. uh, you you take your life into your own hands every time you go out on the road but uh had a couple flat tires this year that's a bummer but i i wanted to talk today about the phrase that will help our listeners as it has helped us it is a handle on your toolbox that i want to give as a gift so usually initiate the content today i initiated the content and the phrase that Joe Ehrman uses a lot in his book, Inside Out Coaching, which I love, uh, if every coach coached like Joe Ehrman, former NFL player, oh my goodness, how the, the world would be a better place in especially the sports youth sports arena. But Joe was raised by an abusive father. He was raped by two men when he was very young. So I mean, I, every time I say that, I know it's a shocking, it's a shocking deal. And then he he fleshed out his anger in the context of a sport where it it was a benefit to be angry. Mm-hmm. And then he understood his story. He came to the point of clarity about his story. He found Christ, and now he's had. An impact, largely by what he would say, is a coherent narrative. He has been able, with grace in his life, coherent meaning brought together, okay, so coherent Mm -hmm. to understandable, an understandability of his narrative, of his story, and this seems to be a dividing line between what Richard Rohr calls the first half of life and the second half of life. In the second half of life, you have a coherent narrative. It doesn't mean the things that happened to you were good. It doesn't mean all the things that you've done in your past are good. I think we would use the word redemption. There's now you're able to see some redemption of that, Mm -hmm. the recycling of that into something, dare I say, beautiful. Our God turns ugly, wooden, brutal crosses into things that people turn into gold and hang around their neck, right? That's what God does. Amazing. We, mm-hmm. we, that's, that's at the core of our coherent narrative, is no matter what's happened to me, no matter what evil 
that it can be turned into something amazing that God uses. And we see this in sports all the time. A while back, I was stunned by the interview with Ryan Leaf, and the, I, I understand I have not seen it in an E60 episode. Ryan Leaf was the self-destructive high draft pick from Montana, from Washington State, mm-hmm. who annihilated his own career through narcissism and self-medication. And you talk about someone today who has a coherent narrative. When I say that phrase, and when you hear someone with what you know to be a coherent narrative, how does that impact you? So what? Big deal. Why should our listeners even be listening from this point on? Well, the... When life isn't lived by that coherent narrative, when there's no when there's no objective of that or acceptance of that, you know, this idea of God and a savior doesn't is uh, it doesn't make much sense and it is it is it lacks a lot of function. But who needs a savior, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you're able to um put together these parts and these into one story. You know, I, I, I feel the Bible is more of a book about us and less of a, and less of a book about God, really. It's a coherent and, narrative of our, our journey. Yeah. And, and so God at that point when, when, you know, it, and it's why in pre- previous podcasts when we talked about Brad Pitt he has this piece and this kind of a coherent narrative, but he's missing one strong component um, that we believe in, and that is <clears throat> Jesus Christ and grace, grace and and, um, yeah. and the piece that comes from Him. When that is reached, this that this belief in God, it becomes a logical harmony. It does. It's no longer this illogical concept or blind leap even when the coherent narrative is believed in and accepted it's it's it is it's a god is a god's part in that is is a logical harmony of 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 you know maybe there are minor notes and major notes but it is but it makes sense it, it makes sense. Yeah, the way I've always looked at it and seen it is the tapestry illustration. Mm-hmm. So you think about a beautiful woven tapestry on the one side. Here's this beauty. But on the other side, it's just a jumble of threads that make no sense. And for much of our life, if not all, we only see the jumbled side of the tapestry, right? The idea is that someday we shall know... So there's some sense in which the eternal promise is that the, the, the tapestry gets flipped over and we're going to be able to go, wow. But what I would qualify with that is that in this life, you can begin at least if not to see the other side of the tapestry, you just start trusting, hey, this is, I've, I'm, I'm surrendered to the idea that I understand these threads. Mm-hmm. I, I understand... These threads. When I was, I like when I, I never understood why I was so short. And my dad was so tall, and why I was left-handed, and nobody else was. 
And now I realize being undersized created grit in me. I see the redemption of that. I have it in I have grit. And being left-handed is I'm 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 very right brain, which for the profession I'm in is very useful to be right-brained. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a left-handed individual. And so uh point being, I don't see the full tapestry, right? But I've seen, you live long enough, you begin to see this coherence to things that happen to you, whether nurture or nature. Mm. And in a practical sense, you know, we, there's like today, I think, you know, we have some people that are, we see as good at writing and some people that aren't. And I think that's just very strange, especially when you look back a hundred years ago, you know, writing is a form of, of communication and language, right? It's... It's it's really less of an art form, and it's become an art form. But it's it's I think it's just more of just a means of communication that everyone used to be able to do to some degree, but now can't. Um, but everyone needs every person needs to write about their life, and and, and not as as a mathematical equation to solve, but as a as a story to accept it as a, as a part of a truth. I think that is the most Important things someone can do to to well because uh, for many years I journaled I haven't in the last few years I just stopped because all all the stuff I have to change up mm-hmm. so for many years I journaled one well, interesting thing is about that for me I I had to watch it because not only was I trying to make coherence of my narrative there's a lot of angst in my journaling mm-hmm. and I would say in that process of making some integration out of my story that I was doing it knowing no one would read it, but that wasn't true. I also knew in the back of my mind, someday you and Jordan would read it. Mm-hmm. And how that could be a gift to you of coherence and insight. And to go off of that, there's this bounce off of that, because I'm sure someday you will read it. There was a lot of years where I journaled. In its um, electronic format, so very preservable in that regard. But a lot of our journey, and so now we're father son, we're co workers, we're tennis partners, we're, you know, da 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 da, is I think a big step in our journey was my, as a parent, letting go of your narrative. Mm-hmm. That you could not make coherence out of your narrative until. You spiritually, emotionally left father and mother. So would you disclose that? What for you was a real turning point into beginning to now make sense of your happenings, the things that happened to you, the things you did, and how you've been able to see the redemption of all that to this point, and still very young mm-hmm. to this point? Uh, I'd say that I made sense of it because I didn't try to make sense of it. I guess you know I, I just accepted it, and I, I I guess that's the blessing in it is that acceptance. It, the reason it's a blessing is from God is that um, it's almost like something we're not in control of that we'll accept things when when we're ready to accept them, but it's but it is not you know willpower is the separation from God it is what we why we ate the fruit it is why there are wars it's why there. It was any kind of destruction, 
and acceptance is the is uh, to me the the opposite of that. It's it's I'm accepting the way things are, the world, and my place in it. And, and but I I don't think I tried to. I just quit trying to make sense of things and just. Isn't you know, that interesting? I, 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 you know, like I, one of my a huge resentment of mine is just like the image of mom uh, getting finding quarters for Jordan and I to eat Taco Bell for lunch one day, and, and her talking over the phone with you about money, and I just resented like, I mean, why the hell would we have to be in in, in ministry? And just from an early age yeah. of like, because yeah. I knew other kids, and it just well, this I, made no sense I, that my I parents. I think it was McDonald's, not Taco Bell. Let's not like, <laughs> no, Taco I, I, Bell. No, trust is, me, that's I, going I, too my far recall is my, my recall is is nearly impeccable, and it was Taco Bell. And oh, no. um, but man, but, we were <laughs> rotten parents. But, you we know, could I, at least done McDonald's. You know, so I, 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 I don't know. I just, um, I just, I stopped trying to make sense of that sense of stuff. I, I, well, it, and then I remember you resenting, like, not to be too disclosing here, but then un, unpack how even why are we being generous then? Like they said, we're looking for quarters in our couch. Why are we being generous? I think it, it, also, it was also a, a, um, a resentment that developed early on just between. To, you know, I had to clarify that one weekend that there was no resentments there and rebellion there because of where, where that normally comes from. And that there's, uh, there's hypocrisy observed from the kids um, of their minister parents. But how do you um, delineate? How do you say there was no rebellion when there was resentment? Like, so to me, doesn't, doesn't rebellion come from well, resentment? N- no. Well, how, I, do you, how do you delineate those two? I, well, like, as I said in that, that weekend, one of the services, I, I, I think I clarified, you know, children's resentments get moralized. That was a great point. Right? Like, so... Adults do not. So, we don't like I said, that one, Johnny is now wearing all black. Little Johnny must be rebelling. No, he's 16, he feels angry, but he's not allowed to feel angry. But that has to come out in some way. Yeah. So his sensorial choice will be hot topic. So these things get moralized, and we moralize them ourselves as well. Um, and acceptance is, I have these resentments. Are they going to define me or not? And that's where the blessing comes in, is that I'm lucky enough to have gotten to a point on the age of 21 where, I, where uh, you know, the kind of that, that image of, of um, Kevin Costner telling, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy that played Superman, you know, it's time to put on the cape. And that I realize using that as a metaphor or as an example makes me sound incredibly egotistical. But um, <laughs> but it was time to accept just where I'm from. Like, mm-hmm. I, I about said something really offensive there. Uh, I didn't, but, you know, just quit messing around and it's just time to, like, are you going to still have a pity party for yourself or are you, going to, or are you actually going to accept things have happened to you and you have done things to happen to other people, but this is who you are. Are you going to um, get over it? And so I think... So that spoke uh, to you. That you're, the movie you're referencing is in Man of Steel, which mm-hmm. it, for me, as you say that and using that reference, boom, that's very clear. Mm-hmm. That's very He didn't clear. want to become Superman and, and his dad basically said, just, you know, time to toughen up. Like, this is who you are. And it can be useful, so go do it. Did we ever say that to you? It's it's time to be. We never said that. No, I no. That was through my own acceptance, and you know there are different levels of that. We're starting to work at the church. Was it was just a means of of service. It wasn't a means of following the family line. It was a means of. I said I'm willing to do whatever is necessary, and and so I just started saying yes to anything that seemed God ordained, and um, you know, I, and another another way that as far as accepting our 
again, to harp on everyone should write how in whatever form, journaling, prose, um, poetry, whatever that is, everyone should write. Um, I wrote this, this, um, this long, this, this long, I mean, it's long as uh, a story of, um, his high school football coach and his son, um, about three years ago, I worked on it for about a year or so, a year and a half. And, um, it's, it never was edited or, or, you know, past probably three drafts, but um, about this McConnell family. And, um, and that helped me figure out by stepping away from me and having something somewhat autobiographical, but basically just writing a story about a friendship between a father and a son um, and really getting into those two people helped me figure out what this relationship looks like objectively, not with my opinions and my feelings, uh, weighing out your opinions and feelings, but, okay, you know, this, this, this McConnell family, like, what do I think of them? What would I have to say to them? So you could, How would they react in this situation? You could step out of the system and be objective about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So McConnell, the, the dad... Was was one of the winningest football coaches in in. Um, well, it was probably a wonderful man. He was. I mean, he was. I, there was there was there was not this this huge. No, I think that was the that was the. I don't oh, yeah. like I don't like extremes. You know, like um like one of my favorite novels to, is yeah. you know like one of my favorite writers is Hemingway, and when, you know one of my favorite greatest novels I ever read that left me bre- just breathless was a Revolutionary Road, and it's just these very subtle things in life that just. Alter, just totally shape us and and wreck us, and that and that's what this story is about. Of like, what do I find in like the monotony of just a father son relationship, searching for a friendship, both going about it in different ways to find a friendship. What? How can I figure? What truths can I bring out of that to better inform me of my coherent narrative of what I've been through? You know, we we would say your mom and I would say that one of the things we did consciously was allow let go of your narrative to just let go it's your narrative now now again you were 20 21 years old parents have a very difficult time doing that did we do that right did uh, you know not to did did you feel that did you did you feel that it's your story now it's not our story even the fact that a while back we told our story in the weekend at our church, it, that was your story to tell. It was when you were ready to tell that story. I, I think I felt that a lot earlier on, honestly. I I never felt too controlled. I really never did. I mean, there are components that I felt I didn't have total control in, but I, I, that was another misconception about me is that you guys were so overbearing and so... You just yeah, controlling we that, that just that was never that was just something that is still just you know like I'll have other preachers kids that are full grown college me I know what your child's there I've been you know my parents are just stressed that's not, yeah, we not that's that you don't know anything about me like that yeah. that's not yeah. that's that's you trying to seek some you know connection with someone you know well we especially means. we were not the typical preacher's family in that I mean we had so much of the arts in our life that. There's no way. I know for a fact that hardly any other preachers would watch the things we watch, read the things we read, because we wanted to expose you guys to mm-hmm. truth through storytelling, truth through art. 
mm-hmm. and just experience it. I think we went to the other stream of, I mean, we're going to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would consider us worldly in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, the part that that I that we own too much was that parents do is seeing things that were going on as a means to an end, and then it never was your story. And that's a that's a difficult balance to strike. Is you're helping guide, do it without owning the story. This is what the end of the story is going to be. You are going to be playing collegiate basketball and scholarship, and that there that was definitely uh, that was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were so the amazing thing about you and Jordan, you guys were so easy to raise. You were just really easy to raise. Sometimes it's just, that's one of the things that makes it worse for us. Is man, you guys were so easy to raise. Boy, did I screw it up. <laughs> Boy, did I screw it up. Um, but one thing we always, you know, we don't want to be ungracious toward ourselves even, but I feel good about truly that liberation of letting go of your narrative. And then you're able to make coherence out of that because people aren't interrupting that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real gift that parents must give their children for them to become adult. You, you know, I, I use this all the time. You, in something you've said: we're not bodies that happen to have a spirit; we're spirits that happen to have a body. And I think that is the that is the kind of baseline of my life. Um, this the second half of my life, and that, um, I, you know, it, a philosophy I'm still working through. That I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, you know final about anything of how I feel about God. I, it's subject to change. But one thing I, I, I feel like I am I, I, a, a, a kind of an understanding I operate from right now and have for really just in sobriety um, is that God does not really care about what I feel, think, or or he doesn't care about my emotions. M- emotions have never served me much good. They are ultimately what make me human and separate me from a dog and also separate me from righteousness, I believe. And therefore, God is not going to direct my life based upon what I think and feel. Well, that's definitely the biblical narrative. I mean, you know, so, uh, if God had cared about what people felt, he would have never sent people in to fight giants and Face lions and it helps me, you know, and stonings and counseling with parents and saying, trying to get that across and saying, God doesn't care what happens to your son. If if we are spirits that happen to have a body and not bodies having to have a spirit, there's not two truths there. Like there's a truth. It's, it can't be. It's, it's one or the other. And I'm pretty sure, as you're saying, that. Scripture is pretty clear on what that is. Not that God inflicts pain, but it's not his top priority of to, what we feel based upon pain, yeah. how life treats us or we treat life and therefore what we feel by that. So that ultimately helps me ex- accept a narrative is that there is no rock bottom. Anytime I thought I couldn't go lower, I did. And that what does this say about my spirit, not my body? 
Um, that's what. That's what. That's because that's you. That's the person God cares about is the you, not the tent, mm-hmm. but the person living in the tent. The body affects yourself. the spirit a little yeah, bit. Absolutely, but it influences. But the the what is the reality of my spirit, and that that helps me accept a narrative. Right? And, well, today, two things take take out of this that are really useful. Huge, huge definition of your narrative is when you come to the place of acceptance. And as you were talking, writing makes a man exact. Speaking makes a man sure, but writing makes a man exact. Find a way to write out your story. That's it for Chucked. Hope you join us next time. Hey, what the chuck up? I'm Austin Charles with Charles Braxton. My producer of the show told me to tell you to rate this as five stars. So go do that and we'll get more notoriety. And that's good for everyone, except probably me and my ego. But still, go do that and our producer will be happy. Yeah.